0: Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have our crew here in the studio. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brad. Dustin. Good morning. Philip. Good morning, guys. Um, Hello, everyone. We're happy to have you with us today. And as always, if you have a listener question or something you'd like us to talk about, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. We appreciate getting those. And we've got a question today that we'll talk about on Bulls and how long those bulls should be out, especially if they're young bulls. We're also going to talk about pre breeding heifer management, and then Dustin's got some insight on the USDA cattle inventory numbers. We talked a little bit last week about some of those numbers and how they're changing, and we're going to talk through that. Before we get into those topics, guys, thinking about food today. So I have a a question for you that is food related, but it's going to be a tricky one. If you could only have, you have to have the same meal every day from here on out the rest of your life it could be breakfast lunch or dinner what is the meal that you're never going to get tired of eating every day i'd, ha- I'd probably
1: go with breakfast
0: well you got to tell me what you would have for breakfast. oh it would be the, the same, same thing
1: yeah okay I'm not going to give you an any. Well, okay, so let's see: eggs, bacon, sausage, pancakes, toast, <laughs> juice,
2: yogurt. I, yeah, <laughs> I gotta cool. agree. with a <laughs> I gotta agree with Philip. I think he he, he got just snookered on that one. So I, if I was going to have to eat the same thing over and over again, I would say breakfast, and it'd be the classic bacon, eggs, toast. Yeah, yeah. and I I could probably do that every day.
3: Can I just say like Mexican or is that yeah. you Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I what I would. have for breakfast cuz you have your eggs,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. a little breakfast you burrito. Could also
3: have dinner and lunch. I mean, yeah. I can do
0: that every meal. I like Dustin's answer. <laughs> you guys are going Mexican, these guys are having breakfast.
2: Man, so. yeah, basically, yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, let's let's shift gears and let's talk heifers. So, this is the time and we're coming up on it. So, if we had heifers springborn, they would be near yearling age now getting close to that first breeding season for them. And, and Bob, I'm going to go to you first and maybe give me some initial thoughts that you're thinking about if I want to be sure my heifers
2: are ready for breeding. I've been kind of feeding them a
0: little bit over the winter, but now I'm actually starting to think about breeding.
2: Yeah. Well, um, the interesting thing is based on, on research and just just experience, beef cattle in the United States tend to reach puberty. The heifers tend to reach puberty at around oh, 13 months of age, 12 to 13 months of age. Which, if you think about that, that means that heifer that um, was born in March, she's likely to reach puberty by March or April. Now, there is a couple of caveats there. um, If if you have some boss indicus, some brangus, some brayford, those types of things, they're going to be a little bit older at puberty. So add, I don't know, a month or a little bit more even to reach puberty. Uh, So when you go back to and say, well, most heifers will reach puberty at 12 to 13 months of age, Uh, And then I'm going to want to breed them. So then a few things start to kind of cause me some problems. A lot of times we recommend that you breed heifers a little bit ahead of the cows. I'd kind of like to breed my heifers so that they calve maybe a month ahead of the cows. So if the cows start calving April or March 1, I may want my heifers to start calving February 1. Well, in order to do that then, they're going to have to be bred kind of in the last part of April, which if they were born march in march or april they're just right at that cusp of reaching puberty so they certainly can but i don't have a lot of leeway there that's one of the reasons why we like to do a pre-breeding evaluation and just find out are these heifers you know are they are they reaching the age of maturity that they need to and there's two things that really drive that age and and body weight kind
0: yeah of. and that's what i was going to ask philip on the body weight knowing that weight is a part of it and age is kind of a threshold right you're either over it or you're not over it but body weight is a gradient and we know that some of them will come in a little bit sooner than others what weight are you targeting these yearling heifers to be
1: well so we say weight and that's the that's our easiest measurement to do but it's really body fat is is what triggers puberty to to occur and so as those heifers grow, they're going to start to deposit more fat in each pound of gain and less muscle. Um, and so, when they get to about sixty to sixty-five percent of their mature weight, that's when they've they've de- uh, developed enough body fat to get that hormonal signal to say, "Okay, I I am old enough and mature enough to um, start cycling."
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, if they're so, you guys are saying if we're approaching puberty, 65 percent of their mature body weight. We wanted to be 12 13 months old by the time that they start cycling which if we're if we have heifers now that are in that 10 11 month range we've got a little bit of time to make some changes before they get there and bob you mentioned the the pre-breeding exam what does
2: that entail well one of the first things is is a weight and hopefully i've got some if these are heifers that i developed from my own herd and i have an idea maybe even of that heifer's dam's weight, if I have weights, and that that's, that's a big if, because a lot of times we don't have adult cow weights. If I can get some idea of what the herd average is, or even individual heifers, what their dam average is, that gives me a way to then look for, well, what's 60% of that? What becomes my target? Um, and so weight is a really big factor. The other thing is, is if I do a good reproductive exam of the heifers every year, I kind of get an idea of what it takes for this herd. So for this herd, maybe I need to hit 850 pounds or, or whatever the, the herd weight is that seems to reach, that, that is required for these heifers to reach puberty. And once I have a target, then I just, well, how many days until I want them to breed, divided by, you know, the amount of gain they need, and then... A lot of times we're talking, oh, one and a half pounds of gain a day, maybe maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less depending on the situation. But those types of gains to make sure that they reach uh, puberty. So
4: you said you said to do a repro exam, Bob. So what what exactly are you looking for on a repro exam? I know I know a lot of people will do pelvic measurements, some people are palpating ovaries in the tract. You know what what specifically what's i guess what's a what's the minimum that you would suggest as a recommendation for a repro exam on as a pre pre-breed, for pre-breeding on heifers and then kind of what other option what kind of optional add-on things would you look for well
2: it, it depends a little bit on are these home-raised heifers that i know information about then weight becomes really important if if they're purchased heifers and i don't really know what my target weight is i still get a weight but i don't have as much information but what i do like is to actually palpate that reproductive tract. So you palpate the ovaries and the uterus. And what you're looking for is if you can imagine a, a heifer that's a long, long way from puberty. Well, her ovaries are going to be quite small, without much palpable. You, know, you can't palpate follicles or CLs or anything on the ovaries. And the actual uterus is pretty, pretty small. It's a pretty, it's a tubular tract, but it's pretty thin-walled. It's pretty small. As she gets closer and closer to puberty, that that reproductive tract starts to feel more like. A, an adult's reproductive tract so the, the uterus is is larger it's thicker and you can start to palpate some some follicles some structures on the ovaries and so those are the probably the two biggest things that we do to get a real really good picture about the, the group as a whole what percentage of them palpate like uh, old enough uh, puberal heifers and also even on an individual basis is this individual likely to reach puberty by the time i want her to uh, we also do some pelvic measurements, and what we're really looking for there is just kind of abnormally small pelvises that, that don't fit the group and, and seem to be an indication that, that she could be a calving problem.
1: Talked about gain, and, and getting those ca- heifers to gain. We're talking about spring calv or spring-born heifers here, and so you know we've, we've kept those heifers after weaning for last fall. You know, Maybe we've had them on a, on a good plan of nutrition and a constant gain, so they're going to hit that 60 to 65% uh, mature body weight by the time we get here to March and April, but, but maybe not. And so there, there's, we can push that gain a little higher. So if, if they haven't been gaining through the winter quite what we want them to gain, we can, we can uh, increase their nutrition, we can get more energy into them, and we can push them up to gain 2.5 pounds a day um, and, and as long as we can do that for about 70 to 90 days before the start of the breeding season, we can help push a lot more of those heifers to puberty um, and still be okay going into the breeding season.
0: Brian also mentioned pelvic exams. What, what are your thoughts? I know there's, there's people that will say, yeah, that's pretty important. People say it's not quite as important. What are your thoughts, Bob?
2: Well, so a, a pelvic measurement, basically you're going in with some sort of a caliper and and actually measuring the height and width of the the, the bony part of the pelvis, and the, the theory there is well we know that we get into calving difficulty when that when the opening the birth canal is smaller than say the hips and shoulders of the calf that's trying to pass through it, and so by logic a a larger opening would allow a larger calf to come through, um, or have less problems with the calf coming through. Now the and so that's why unless the, unless the calf is bigger. Well, and that that's the problem. So if we select for heifers that have a large skeleton, basically. Well, then she also has the genetics for her calf to have a large skeleton. And so it it doesn't work as well as at first when you think about, oh, a a bigger pelvis would be good, but she's also throwing a calf that the calf has a bigger pelvis as well. And so really the way I use it is not bigger is better, but I'm looking for those relatively rare, but they do occur, heifers that are just kind of small in their pelvic area. And so I don't, preferably select heifers with larger and larger pelvic area, but I'm looking for that relatively rare one that has a small pelvis and then she gets cold, but otherwise, otherwise I'm not that interested. Any, any
0: of these traits you can't interpret in a vacuum. Yeah, that's I think right. on heifers, it's really important because if she's pre-pubertal, her skeletal huh. growth may not have occurred. She may not have gone through that growth spurt. Uh, I can't evaluate much if she's really, really young same way on her tract if she's pre-pubertal i don't know how long it's going to be before right. she starts cycling i just know
2: she's not today right and that and that becomes part of the the timing how how far away from the breeding season are we and a lot of times if she is you know she's got a small reproductive tract she's got a small pelvis well that tells me she's quite a ways from puberty well if we're quite a ways from the start of breeding she may or may not make it but if we're getting close to, to the start of the breeding season she probably won't make it and that is part of the reason I'm doing this to identify those heifers that probably aren't going to be a good breeding candidate.
1: So what age do you recommend doing these measurements and taking this, uh, getting this information on these heifers?
2: Well, there's really about two times. A lot of times we'll do it about six weeks prior to do the, the breeding season. And the reason is because if I get much earlier than that, a high percentage of them are immature and you know, if they've got two months, two months makes a, a world of difference. And so I didn't really put any selection pressure on if I go too early. The other time, but around six weeks, um, I I get a a decent feel for uh, whether they'll make it to the breeding season as puberal or not. And if they're a little behind, I can change that. If they're a lot behind, I really can't. The other time we do it is right when we're getting ready to, you know, if we're going to use synchronization or something like that, I'll do it right when we're ready to do the synchronization protocol. And then I either put them in the synchronization group or they go into the non-synchronization group. So it kind of depends on the strategy that you're using with the heifers.
0: So am I using it to try to figure out what I need to do to improve or am I just using it to
2: select the ones I want to keep? Exactly. And, and we have clients that do either way.
0: Excellent. So good good thoughts there on, and we'll come back because there's a lot to replacement heifers, but I do want to shift to our listener question. We had a great listener question, although I'm a little bit concerned because they mentioned in the question, it's at a debate in the family. So I don't know where you guys are going to land or if you're going to have a debate in your family as you talk about this one. But the question is, How long do we leave a virgin bull out? The implication to me, which I'll read into it to you guys, is that this is a yearling bull. So it's a virgin yearling bull. And should we leave him out longer or less time than seasoned bulls? And I have a feeling their family will decide if you're right or not on this answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they probably will. I'm going to say, in general, I want to actually leave my yearling bulls out a little bit less time and it's because they're still growing uh, and when bulls are out in a breeding pasture they tend to be moving quite a bit they're exercising they tend to lose body condition and for a mature bull um, if they start in in decent body condition and they lose a little bit of body condition that that is certainly not a big problem unless it gets severe it's not gonna affect uh, their their fertility a yearling bull and a yearling bull is you know anywhere from 13 to 18 months or so um, is still growing And so if he starts losing body weight because he's out exercising a lot and you compound with that, that he should be growing, I think we can see some effects on his fertility much quicker than we would a mature bull. And so I actually like leaving yearling bulls out a a shorter breeding season um, and and really kind of watch them pretty close and be ready to pull them out of that breeding pasture and give them um, a chance to regain some weight.
4: I, I kind of, I mean, I'll, i guess I'll chime in. I, I tend to agree with Bob. I, I agree with the, we certainly don't want to extend the breeding season for a virgin bull. So a little bit less, maybe for all the reasons he mentioned, um, certainly, certainly no longer. Right. And because if you've, if you've done the due diligence, he's passed a breeding soundness exam. Um, he should be fit ready and able to go breed cows. Um, if, if you extend out the breeding season because he's a virgin, then you end up with all the negative implications of late born calves and you're now you're behind with your next breeding cycle. And so um, I, I don't, I don't see any reason to extend it beyond the regular breeding season.
1: Like Bob mentioned, those bulls are still growing and, and I think it might depend a little bit on when your breeding season is so. You know, if, if I've got an early spring calving cow herd and my bulls are going to be breeding cows in May and early June, then I've got some really high quality grass and he may be able to maintain his body condition much better. Um, but if I've got a late spring calving herd and then it's it's late summer when I'm breeding, uh, and then that forage is not as good, it's not as nutritious, protein's lower, he, he's going to have a more difficult time maintaining his body condition and, and continuing to grow. And then again, if we're doing fall calving and we got those cows on um, dormant winter forage or hay or something like that, again, kind of same situation, he's going to have more difficulty in maintaining his body condition. So I think it depends a little bit on what time of year that breeding season is and what the forage quality is and the nutrition available to him and the, as, as
2: the whole cow herd It makes a difference. I think one of the things that's driving this question is I think the, the person asking it kind of recognizes that, that yearling bulls probably can't cover as many cows per day, uh, many cows as in, that are in heat per day as a mature bull. And one way to deal with that is we'll just spread it out a little bit. The The problem with that is is that honestly, if you think about that, that means that he's actually not getting some cows pregnant this estrus or this heat cycle, and he's allowing them to get them at a later time. And I'm not sure that's a trade that I'm really willing to make. And so it it, it gets actually bull to cow ratio and length of breeding season are, they're, they're not necessarily really easy answers. I have preferences, which is particularly with young bulls, not very many cows. That kind of the old rule of thumb is the number of cows per month of age. So if he's 17, 18 months of age, put him with 17, 18 cows, which is quite a bit fewer than what we would ask a mature bull to do. And if, and so what we run into sometimes is maybe it's only a 35 cow herd and, and I'm going to have one bull and he's a yearling this year in a way that's less than ideal, uh, but it's what you're dealt with. And in those situations that it, yeah, it, I don't have a great answer in those situations.
0: Yeah. It can be tricky, but I think that's the key to the issue is how many, how many cows do we have out there? And the breeding season can be 120, 180 days. But if he does always work in the first 40, it doesn't matter as long as I make sure he gets that nutrition, as Philip mentioned. So great answers to that question. Hopefully we settled the family debate. If not, send an email to Dr. Bob, and we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll let him yeah, settle it. You. Also, did want to mention if if you're interested in bulls, it's we're coming right up on that time of year. March 1st is the K-State bull sale here in Manhattan, so it'll be a good opportunity if you want to come see some bulls buy some bulls potentially that is that will be here on march 1st dustin i want to turn to you and ask about some of these we've we've had a lot of discussions cow herd size what's going on nationally the usda has some cattle inventory numbers that have come out and i know there's some others coming out relatively soon tell us what you see or what you're hearing from your perspective so, yeah, this is
3: just a follow up on, I guess, last week we talked about that Robo Bank, Lance Zimmerman, who's been a guest on our show before. Uh, he, he had that article come out, I think it was titled Rebuilding with Resiliency in the Beef Supply Chain. But he wrote that before the USDA released their January 1 cattle inventory numbers. And so that's what I guess I'm referring to now. And so, interesting, uh, you know, if you think of all cattle inventory, so which would include dairy cows, beef cows, Uh, Replacement heifers, heifers over 500 pounds, bulls, calf crop in the current year, etc. I think it was down like 2% compared to the previous year. Uh, We've had the smallest calf crop since 1948. Um, Now, if you just focus on the beef cows for a minute, that inventory uh, was down 2% compared to the previous January 2023. Uh, But then if you compare that to the previous year before that, it was 4% declined. And so heifers, replacement heifers was down like 1%, but that was, if you compare that to the previous, it was 6%. So I think all that information says is the cattle cycle, it's been contracting, but at a much slower rate. So I don't know if 2024 will be the year where we kind of hit that bottom and then maybe eventually start to
0: track up. And we talked about that a little bit last week, saying it's down year over year helps us a a limited amount unless you look back at those previous years. And what you're saying is it's been down... For several years in a row, the inventory number, but it's down less. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep, yeah, it's it's it's
2: maybe at plateauing at a smaller rate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, it, which is still interesting. I mean, and I suppose that that's the way it has to work. It doesn't just immediately turn around and go from a fairly large drop to a fairly large increase. And so maybe maybe we're at the kind of the bottom of the
3: that's, inventory. Yeah. And so in January one of twenty four, we had twenty eight point two million head of beef cattle can anybody guess what is the smallest u.s beef herd this is the smallest u.s beef herd since, since what year wait I actually you, said you it, just 48. said it 48 <laughs> i said that was total that oh was oh the beef herd this is uh, beef okay. i said
2: Different. ah well. well you were paying attention uh, we were paying attention yeah, yeah. You, you've taught us i would have missed it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but now my brain is scrambling trying to think. Well, I think the dairy numbers have dropped more than the beef numbers since 1948. So, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what year that would mean. I'm going to say 1954 was the lowest. Beef 60, 62.
1: Or, yeah, I was going to go in the 60s. I'll say 65. 56.
3: Uh, it's 51. So, it was close oh, to that. Man. But there's one interesting. So, if you look across just the beef cattle inventory breakout numbers, I said, Uh, All cows and heifers down 2%. Beef cows down 2%. All heifers over 500, 3%. Beef replacement heifers 1%. Steers uh, over 500, 2% decline. These are all declines. Calf crop 2.5%. Cattle on
2: feed. Well,
1: gone up a couple percent. It's went up.
2: Which up is because
1: the, the, heif- the
2: heifers are going into the feedlot. Part of it, yeah. Could be imports too, but those heifers are going in the feedlot instead of being replacement heifers.
3: Yep. And so that was an interesting. So we've got cattle on feed that's going up, which I think what that's doing right now is it's helping keeping some of the prices maybe at the consumer level. Because so we're gonna, but but as you can imagine, if you've got fewer and fewer animals, calf mm-hmm. crop is smaller, fewer replacement heifers. There's only a matter mm-hmm. of time before the numbers that are going in versus mm-hmm. coming out is going to slow down. And thus, I suspect Tighten probably in meat supplies later in 24 maybe, and in mm-hmm. 25, we'll probably start to see maybe higher beef prices would be my guess. One thing that they did note, though,
0: the production carcasses
3: were heavier, so that mm-hmm. didn't help out. Sure, so uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's
0: offsetting a lot of the – because the beef demand-wise, you, you're offsetting that with having higher carcass weights. So we're producing more pounds, even though our cow herd is shrinking – and do you see that kind of turning around, even as our cow? Because that, that will limit how fast we want to turn around the cow herd. Uh, that did. They said its 2023 production was
3: still five, 5% below. So mm-hmm. It did help, but, I mean, we're still 5% below. And I think they're, they're forecasting maybe that we'll, it's still going to be about 3% below in 2024.
2: So, again, a, a slower decline compared to the past, which may, may indicate the things are about ready to turn the other way.
3: Uh, yep, and then we talked last time about some of the prices are going to go up for the producers. We would expect that. However, we also talked last time some of those input costs in particular. Replacement heifers are going to go way up. Uh, interest expense is up. And so that might kind of hamper uh, profitability.
0: Which the replacement heifer cost, you you kind of take a hit there of whether I keep my own or I buy them, their opportunity cost is still higher. And that's going to stay with that heifer throughout her lifetime, right? As she depreciates and goes through, it depends on how many heifers I want to save when the prices are high. The only other component we talked briefly about,
3: the only other one I just want to mention is the demand side. We talked about the supply side, but there's also the demand. And last year, demand stayed pretty high. I got a colleague, Glenn Tonzer who runs the Meat Demand Monitor. You know, consumers are still willing to pay, but going forward, I'm not sure how much they're going to continue to do that. Uh, And so between domestic demand and global demand we combine that with uh, the tight supply uh, things are 2024 is going
0: to be interesting yeah absolutely and we, and you can see that if you go look at look at prices consumer prices for and it's not just the meat case at the grocery but there's a, a lot of higher prices so thanks for sharing that with us Dustin and as always if you have any thoughts questions comments for us you can send us an email at BCI at ksu.edu. <laughs>